Heavenly Father, at this time we bow before your throne of grace, believing that you are the Lord of the heavens and the earths. You are the God who speaks essentially through your holy scripture. And we thank you for your son who died for our sins and you raised him from the dead. And if there is any person over here who is not born again, who do not know you, who has not been converted by the power of the gospel, we pray let this day be the day of their conversion. And we thank you for the institution of the Lord's Supper. And we thank you for the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we meditate on your word to understand how the early church practiced, we pray that you revive our souls. Heavenly Father, pray that you open the eyes of our heart to see wonderful things in your word. And we thank you for your word, which is a light unto our paths and a uh, light unto our souls. We thank you for the revelation of your scripture, that we are not left to ourselves. We are not left to the culture. We are not left to the celebrities of the time. We are left only to the authority of the word of God. And we pray this afternoon that you please to speak to us, encourage our hearts. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Shall we all say amen? amen? The topic that is before us is, why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper in the context of a communal meal? Many of you may be wondering when we have this communal meal as a church, a lot of people see that it is disconnected from the Lord's Supper. But I want to persuade you from the scripture that the reason why we have a communal meal every Sunday is because it is part of the Lord's Supper. And after that, there will be some time for Q&A. Feel free to ask. By God's grace, I have done a lot of study on this subject about how the early church practiced the Lord's Supper. And I want to persuade you from the scripture that the early church celebrated the Lord's Supper in the context of a fellowship meal. And why fellowship meals are so important in the local churches today. So that's my essential focal point. I'm not going to cover everything about the Lord's Supper. In the early church and also a lot of Bible scholars also believe that the early church gathered essentially. One major purpose for the early churches to gather was to break bread. If you ask the modern church, they say that we are gathering to sing songs. We are gathering to... I hear the sermon, but rarely do we hear people say that we are gathering as a church to break bread. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And we see here Acts 2, 42. Shall we all lift up our voices and read this together? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. When we hear the word devoted, it means it was a regular practice of these early believers. One of the things that I question to modern day pastors and churches is that when there is preaching every Sunday, because the church here devoted to apostles' teaching, when there is, when there is prayers every Sunday, why there is no breaking of the bread as the early church devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread along with teaching, fellowship, and prayers? Although the Bible doesn't clearly say that you need to break bread when you come together weekly, but there is a great heavy weight persuasion from the scripture that they gathered for that very purpose, and that is to break bread. And they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. That is one reason why we have weekly breaking of the bread. We are fully convinced that weekly breaking of the bread when we come together, breaking of the bread should be a very pivotal practice because through that, we celebrate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that we look down on those, I have friends and uh, fellow churches, they don't break bread every Sunday, that's fine. We don't look at, down at them and it is not something uh, about who is doing better, who is least, it is not about that. How close are we to the biblical paradigm? That's a main thing. But uh, please don't look out, uh, look down at the churches that do not break bread weekly. And uh, we should always uh, obey the word of God with humility and not with a superior attitude. We also see in Acts chapter 20 verse 7. 
Acts chapter 20 verse 7. We see that in the context of the church gathering at Tros. It was the name of the place, Tros. And let us all read together what it says over here. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread. Now interestingly, if you see this, Paul was leaving and because of that, he gave a long sermon. It doesn't say that we came together to listen to Paul. Although Paul was very important there and his teaching was important. It says here, on the first day of the week, which we believe is Sunday, we came together, it says, to break bread. And uh, as I was doing a study on the Greek, the phrase to break bread is in Greek, etelic infinitive you don't have to beat your head to understand what is telic infinitive it means that it denotes the purpose and the objective of that gathering when it says that we have gathered to break bread so the grammar is that it denotes the purpose of the church gathering and what was the purpose of church gathering the reason for the meeting was the eating of the lord's supper i often crack a joke that in the early church, there was no meeting without eating, right? And that is what we see. And uh, if we also see one of the longest descriptions, or maybe the longest description on the Lord's Supper is we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul spends uh, insurmountable time and verses to explain the appropriate practice of the Lord's Supper. And interestingly, we see that the phrase come together. If you open your Bibles, it's better because I didn't mention, I just mentioned the verses. It is good that you examine what I preach because uh, we need to see that it is according to the Word of God. Be it in phone or um, in your Bible. You can turn and see 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And you see it says in verse 17, what does it say? You see the word come together. And then you see in verse 18, come together. And see in verse 20, come together. Or 33, when you come together. Or 34, when you come together. You see that phrase, when you come together, when you come together, when you come together, when you come together, when you come together. Now, what does it mean? Now, uh, I generally I quote people because I don't want to give a false impression to people that I am having authority over biblical languages. That is one reason I honestly tell that this is because I am not an authority over biblical languages. I am dependent on faithful Bible scholars who have done study and uh, that is the reason I quote. And I don't want to ignore them and quote as if in a way that I have discovered myself and I'm an authority over the biblical languages. So I want to say here and quote what Michael Swigel says about when you come together, the phrase, how important it is when you come together. He's a professor of theological studies at DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary. So he says that Paul uses a term come together in Greek, suner komai. In this passage, as a term for the official assembling of the local church in Corinth. So, don't just see come together as a mere gathering. When it says come together, it speaks about the official gathering of the local church in Corinth. And the Bible declares here that the reason why the church gathered here, you don't see much of this phrase throughout the Corinthians it doesn't say that when you come together, when you come together, when you come together. In other passages, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see here and there, but not emphatically, which shows that the very purpose the Corinthian ch church gathered together was to break bread, is to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the reason I am showing you the scripture that shows that we need to understand the significance of the Lord's Supper and not have a superficial mere understanding of it so i divided my sermon into three parts the first is the prescription and the third which is the mandate from the lord why we celebrate and the second is on the purpose why should we break bread and also the third one is the pattern 
In what context, in what model that we see the early church practice the Lord's Supper? And the third part is the emphasis of my sermon today, right? I would like to read from uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 19. Why we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Because it is prescribed, not suggested. It is prescribed by the Redeemer who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And we see the context here is Passover meal, which was the last Passover meal that the Lord Jesus had with his disciples. And this is what he says during the Passover meal. He picks up the bread and he instituted the practice of breaking of the bread or the Lord's Supper. Now, Luke chapter 22 verse 19. Look at what he says. He records, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Lord Jesus is telling that I have sacrificed my body for your sins. I have shed my blood for your sins. And he gives the command here. He gives the institution here. And you need to practice it throughout your lives. And he says here that, do this. Now that's the mandate. Practice this in remembrance of me. We see that uh, uh, there is a lot of similarity between uh, uh, the Passover meal and also the Lord's Supper. Now, there are some people who have gone to the extreme saying that the Lord's Supper is the Passover meal. No, the Lord's Supper is not the Passover meal, although there is some similarity. And what is the similarity that we find between the Passover meal and the Lord's Supper? Remembrance. Very good. Remembrance is the similarity that we find. They remembered the Lord's deliverance from the bondage of Egypt, and we remember the Lord's deliverance from the bondage of of sin there is similarity and also there is difference the difference is that we celebrate the lord's redemption on the cross for our sins and they celebrated the lord's redemption from the bondage of egypt now let us also see what same thing paul repeated in 1 corinthians 11 showing that this is a mandate it is necessary 1 corinthians 11 23 to 25 shall we all read this together for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. How many times do you find the phrase, Do this. How many times? Twice, right? Do this in the context of the bread. Do this in the context of the cup, which speaks about the mandate. It is prescribed. The Lord's Supper is not instituted by any man, by any church, by any culture. It is instituted by the Lord of the heavens and the earth for the church of the living God. All those who believe that Christ has died for my sins and that he rose from the dead and all those who believe that we are part of the body of Christ must celebrate the breaking of the bread, celebrate the gospel of the Lord Jesus symbolically as we participate in the breaking of the bread. And as I go ahead, I want to again mention this, that if there is any person here who has not repented of your sins, and believed in the Lord Jesus genuinely, not superficially, not because you were born into a Christian family and grew up, but genuinely, if anyone has not done that, I tell you that, please do it now so that you can celebrate the gospel along with the body of Christ or else eternal doom is hovering over your head and that is not God's will for you that you should be God's will for you and call upon you to be saved by the grace of God. And all those who are saved, we should celebrate it as it is instituted by the Lord. John Piper, he says that as he reminds us of what 
Paul has mentioned here and what the Lord Jesus said, Jesus himself is the origin of the Lord's Supper. He commanded it to be continued. And he is the focus and the content of it. He is the one who commanded it. And that's the reason Christians celebrate it as one of the ordinances. And what is an ordinance? There is, a, there is significance to the ordinances that an ordinance is a Christian rite, R-I-T-E. When I say rite, it means it is a mandatory practice with symbolic elements. Symbolic elements. And there are two ordinances in Christianity. And what are they? Baptism. And the symbolic expression of it is water. And the Lord's Supper and the symbolic expression of it is bread. I think we should have wine. Okay, so... Uh, so what is the purpose now? What is the purpose? Prescription we see, it is instituted by the Lord. And let us see the purpose. There are two purposes. A lot of people focus only on one purpose. But I would like to persuade you today that there is a second purpose also. The first is the work of Christ. The first is the work of Christ. Let's read again 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 24. Let us all lift up our beautiful voices. For I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I have shown to you and emphasized on the word, do this, do this. But he said something which is very important. When you practice this, whom should you remember? The Lord Jesus Christ. And not just the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly the work of Christ on the cross. The body that he offered and the blood that he shed for the forgiveness of sins. He says that in remembrance of me, I am the focus of the Lord's Supper. Sometimes, you know, we forget that Christ is the focus, the essence of the Lord's Supper, and we try to focus on many things, but we need to understand that Christ is the center of the Lord's Supper, particularly the work of Christ on the cross. Now, when the word remember is not just calling something to memory, mere calling of something to mem memory. It is beyond that. And I love the way how Robert Saucy, professor of systematic theology, explains. Hear this, what he says. To remember something involves meditating on it. It's a meditation. When Jesus at the institution of the Lord's Supper commanded, do this in remembrance of me, he was instructing his disciples to meditate on him and his saving activity. Brothers and sisters, how many of us seriously meditate? You know what is meditation? You soak your mind in Christ. You absorb your mind in Christ. Especially his saving activity for the forgiveness of our sins. And that is what exactly the Lord was, is expecting from us in the Lord's Supper. We, we, in remembering, he not only says that in remembering, he says something else also in this passage, if you observe carefully. He says here that, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what are you doing? He says remembering and also he says what? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, what is the difference between remembering and proclamation here? I love the description of John Piper here. Now, he beautifully explains. Look at this carefully, how he explains here. If remembering means calling to mind what Christ did by his death, then proclaiming means calling to each other what Christ did by his death. Do you hear this? In remembering, it is an individual experience. In proclaiming, it is a corporate experience. We declare to one another what Christ has done. This is a normal moment of worship. The preciousness of Christ presses itself on our memory. And then that inner remembering breaks out in proclaiming the worth of what we remember. Beautifully explained 
what remembrance and proclamation is. And we don't just remember the past, what Christ has done for us on the cross. What do we also remember when we partake in the Lord's Supper, which many people don't do? What is that? You proclaim the Lord's death until when? You're focusing on His coming. Lord, and, and in other words, whenever we are celebrating the Lord's Supper, it is also, Lord, when are you coming? Because until you come, we are celebrating the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, don't just think that we only focus on the past, we also focus on the future. Come Lord, Maranatha, we as a church are celebrating and waiting for your coming. And not only the work of Christ, the second thing a lot of people miss is the unity of the church. The unity of the church. Now, open your Bibles or you can look into the passage carefully. Now, follow me carefully. Because a lot of people think that only the personal sins or what Christ has done for us on the cross, but they don't think about the unity of the church when they celebrate. And uh, if, if remembering what Christ has done is all about that matters, there was no need for Paul to write these words. Do you hear this? If just remembering what the Lord has done on the cross, all that matters, there was no need for Paul to write this. Now you see what he says here in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not command you, I do not commend you, not command, commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Do you see the word? What, were, what, what do we see that was there in the Corinthian church? Divisions. And Paul was very upset. And I believe it in part. And he says, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now you see in verse 20, he says here that when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Why, why do you think he's saying that it is? You're not having the Lord's Supper. They are having the Lord's Supper according to their understanding. They thought that we are coming together, celebrating the Lord's Supper. And Paul comes here and he says that he breaks up the news. You're not having the Lord's Supper. Why are they not having the Lord's Supper? Because there were divisions. Now, if there are divisions, you're not having the Lord's Supper. So that means that Lord's Supper is not just about what Christ has done for us on the cross in the past. It also implies something else. And that is the unity of the church. And you see, he says that for an eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, you see here what it says, despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Now this speaks to us that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are also symbolizing, declaring what Christ has done for us on the cross, which is that he offered his one body. Hear this carefully. He offered his one body so that we who are many can become one body. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Shall we all repeat together? Christ offered his one body so that we who are many might become one body of Christ. And what that one body of Christ speaks about, it speaks about the unity of the body of Christ. Paul reiterates before chapter we see in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16 to 17. See that carefully how he says here in 16 to 17. Shall we all read this? Just two verses. We can lift up our voices and read this together. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So what that one bread symbolizes? We see that because the way we participate, yes, that bread, Jesus said that, offered for you, that is there. But the way we who are many participate in that one bread also symbolizes the unity of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would like to just read two quotations here in order to buttress my point. Everett Ferguson is a Bible scholar and church historian. He says here that, you can look at the notes, it is before you. 
A concrete expression of our accepting one another is our sharing in the Lord's Supper. Communion shows one's participation in the church, for the church is the body of Christ. Eating of the one loaf makes the participants one body in Christ. Now, in similar fashion, we see Cyprian, who was a bishop of Carthage in 3rd century AD, writes, When the Savior takes the bread that is made from the coming together of many grains and calls it as his body, he shows the unity of our people, which the bread symbolizes. And when he takes the wine that is pressed from many grapes and grains and forms a single liquid, he shows that our flock is composed of many who have been brought into unity. And again, the other commentator says that a single loaf is a symbol and an instrument of unity. The single loaf is a symbol and an instrument of unity. Now, what is the point of one bread that Paul is arguing? Now, this is how I put it. I don't know, I, I, I doubt whether they are there in your notes. I think I have uh, updated it later, but this is, hear this carefully. Uh, I have put it beautifully for our understanding. That one loaf, the essence speaks about the work of Christ. The essence speaks about the work of Christ. But the result of the work of Christ is the unity of the body of Christ. That one loaf, there is essence and the result. The essence speaks about the work of Christ. But the result of that essence, the work of Christ on the cross, is the unity of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we must keep both these factors in mind when we participate in the Lord's Supper. Now hear this. This is one reason you cannot break bread at your home individually. Because that doesn't make any sense. Because you are not the church individually. It is collectively we become the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this brings us to our main essence of the sermon, the pattern. What is the model portrayed? When I say pattern, it means the model portrayed by the early church. How the early church celebrated the Lord's Supper. I want to argue that they celebrated the Lord's Supper not as a crumb and a sip alone. They celebrated the Lord's Supper in the context of a communion meal. Okay? Now, look at carefully here. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. After the Lord Jesus said that, do this in remembrance of me for the first time. And you see what it says here. This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after he said this, in the same way also he took the cup. When, when did he take the cup? When he gave the bread to them, what did they have? This is one problem because we are in India, not in the Middle East, to understand the importance of the bread. And uh, when Jesus said that uh, in the Lord's Prayer, give me today my... Why did he say daily bread? We eat bread only when we are sick, right? We Indians eat bread when we are sick. Milk bread especially. Because bread is not the common diet of us. For us, it is rice. But in the Middle East, bread is the diet. Common thing. The way we eat rice, the Palestine, they ate. Israelites, they ate bread as we eat rice. So when Jesus broke it and gave it to them, the Bible says that after supper, which means... They had supper. After supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, when, in what context did Jesus break bread and pass down the cup? In what context? What context? During the meal, particularly in this context, the Passover meal. Bread was a regular biblical diet. There is a quotation here from Robert and Julia Banks uh, in their book, The Church Comes Home. Robert uh, Banks is uh, one of uh, the Bible scholars of our time. And I'm not quoting someone who is uh, just an inspirational author, but these are solidly biblical authors. And he says in the book, When the Church Comes Home, and uh, I'll look at the quotation here. In the first century, bread and wine were people's basis, food, and drink. Just as we eat rice and drink coke, they ate bread and drank wine. It was so common. The breaking of the one and the drinking of the other customarily marked 
the beginning and conclusion of a meal. Which means, they are telling, what he says is that the wine was like dessert and the bread was the main essence of eating. So it, it makes the complete meal. When the Lord's Supper commenced with the breaking of bread and ended with the drinking of wine, it was not a separate ritual, but an ordinary meal given an extraordinary significance. And what is the extraordinary significance? What is the extraordinary significance of that ordinary meal? The work of Christ and the unity of the church. But it was a meal. Now, Jesus, as we have heard the scripture read by Catherine, Luke 22, verse 18, he says that when he broke bread and gave it to them, he says that, For I tell you that from now on I will not eat of the fruit of the wine until the kingdom of God comes. So which means it was the last supper. And he says that I will eat with you again when the kingdom of God comes. And until then you celebrate together. And that's why we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because now, now hear carefully. Now when we break bread, we celebrate in the absence of the physical presence of the Lord. But when the Lord comes, we have supper together in the physical, glorified, bodily presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason when we are eating, we are telling, Lord, we are eating this, but we are missing you. We are remembering what you have done for us on the cross, and we are missing you in our midst. When I say missing you, means the glorified physical presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, when are you coming so that we can eat together? We all can have the marriage, feast, banquet of the Lamb. That is what it is. We don't go deeper understanding into that, but that's what the Lord Jesus said here, said here that I will not eat until the kingdom of God comes. And in verse 20, 28 also, you look at it. He says, you are those who stayed with me in my trials, and I assigned to you, as my father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You see again that eating and drinking speaks about the meal that you will be having on my table in my kingdom. So what we need to understand is that there is this eschatological element and factor when we break bread. And we are eagerly waiting for the Lord's coming. I just read here, Everett Ferguson, I'm avoiding Howard Marshall's. More directly to the point, Jesus at the Last Supper spoke about eating and drinking in the kingdom of God. In the Lord's Supper, we anticipate the blessings of the end time. Here is an eschatological act which shows the church character as a people who partake of God's eschatological gifts. Right? Now, let's turn now to Acts 2.42 as I'm trying to argue to you, argue with you that this is um, how it was celebrated in the context of the communal meal. Now, we need to understand here that the word Lord's Supper, the phrase Lord's Supper was used only by Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. But in the entire book of Acts, do you remember what is the phrase used? The breaking of the bread, right? And that is what we see in Acts 2.42. Shall we all read this together? Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, now the, here is a mental exercise for you, how attentive you are. Look at the verse carefully. Okay? And observe the word and in these words. Where do you see and in between? You see and in between teaching and the fellowship. You see and in between breaking of the bread and the prayers. Do you see and in between fellowship and the breaking of the bread in your Bible? Please open your Bible. Maybe I am missing an ESV version. You should be having in your version. NASB, NIV, whatever version you are reading. Reading or ESV. Do you find and between fellowship and breaking of the bread? Did you ever observe that? Did you, did you ever observe that? There is no and between fellowship and breaking of the bread, but and between teaching and fellowship, and and between breaking of the bread and prayers, but there is no and between breaking of the bread and fellowship. Now, what does it speak to us? Did you, did you see in your Bibles, all of you? Am I right or am I wrong? Am I right? Now, here is my explanation. There is no and between 
fellowship and breaking of the bread. In some Greek texts, the words fellowship and the breaking of the bread are linked together as simultaneous activities. Now, what does it mean? It means they fellowshiped while breaking bread. They fellowshiped while breaking bread. It was fellowshipping, breaking bread. If you put it together, that's how it was. And what we need to understand is that in Jewish thought, to eat with someone was the perfect picture of close fellowship. And that is why we see that. How many of you remember Revelation 3.20? It's a very famous evangelistic sermon. What is Revelation 3.20? I stand at the door and knock. And if you open the door, I will come. What did he say? I will come and dine with you. I will supper with you. Now what does supper speaks about? I accept you and you are close to me. I am close to you and we enjoy fellowship together. It was a very meaningful thing. Eating together in the Jewish context was not a simple thing, people. It means that you are part of my family. It was a very closely associated activity. That is one reason in 1 Corinthians 5, when Paul speaks about church discipline, you know what he said? If anyone claims himself to be a brother and is involved in sexual immorality, greediness and all kinds of sins, you should not even eat with him. It doesn't make sense to modern Christians. Anyway, they don't eat. A lot of people don't eat. Now, we see here the phrase breaking of bread. Now, this is what we need to understand that, uh, you know, in one of the figurative languages that we see when we interpret the Bible uh, is idiomatic expressions. And what is idiomatic expressions? It is a, it carries a meaning, that phrase, you cannot just take it literally, it carries some meaning. The breaking of the bread was an idiomatic expression of a full meal. Right? Now, I'm quoting here, it's there in your notes, uh, David Watson, uh, I believe in the church, he was an Anglican uh, uh, writer and a preacher and still... Uh, he says uh, something which is very interesting. David Watson commented, the term breaking of bread, hear this, was a common expression for the whole fellowship meal. Shall we read that together? Very important for us to understand. The term breaking of bread was a common expression of, for the whole fellowship meal. And, in, and Luke in Acts never mentioned the cup at all. Does he mention? They broke bread and drank up. It doesn't say. It just says they broke bread. What is more important is the joy and praise that accompanied such meals as they experienced the presence of the risen Christ amongst them and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Certainly, a few years later, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, probably around AD 55, the Lord's Supper was very much part of the life of a local church. And not only we see in 42, we see in 46. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Shall we all read this together? And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What does it say? They received what? So when they broke bread, what were they having? They were having food. Right? And I have put also the NASB translation there what it says. Shall we all read the NASB also, New American Translation Bible. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. You know the word there is what? If I invite you for a meal at my house and when you come, I'll give you a piece of bread and give you a small cup of uh, drink. And I said, and after that, I'll tell you, thank you so much for joining for a meal at our home. I'm so grateful to you. And you said, oh, thank you, Brother Stephen. What grand hospitality you have shown to me. Eternally grateful to you for this grand act. And you live. That's how you feel? No, when you say it, meal means, what do you mean when you say meal? It's a full meal, right? I don't know whether it was Andhra meal or what meal. Definitely, I love Andhra meal. New Living Translation, NLT, says the worship together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper. We see that in NLT. And shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Now let's go further and see where the Lord's Supper is mentioned again. Breaking of the bread. Acts 20 verse 7. We have seen it before, right? The church at Ross met together. 
One of the few places in scripture where the purpose of the church meeting is stated, right? Acts 27, on the first day of the week at Troas, when we gathered together to break bread. The message translation explains here. I'm not telling these are the very reliable translation, but they put it in simple words so that we can understand what it means. We met on Sunday to worship and celebrate the Master's Supper. New Living Translation, on the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. So what we see here is that even when these people gathered, they broke bread and had meals. It was not just a cup and a sip. And in order for you to understand, I'm not reading now, but you can read later. I've given the evidence. This is not the Lord's Supper, but breaking bread implies meal. That's what I want to convince you. Whenever the phrase breaking of the bread is used, it means meal. We see that even in non-Lord's Supper also. That is what I have shared with you in Acts 27 when uh, people were afraid that they will die when Paul was in prison in Rome and he was taken to the Rome in the ship. And we see that people were afraid because of the storm and there was a raging storm. And uh, it says here that, I just want to read that. He took bread and he gave thanks to the Lord in the presence of many. He broke it and began to eat. And they all had food for themselves. So the breaking of the bread means having food. Not just a crumb. Now let's come to the main passage, 1 Corinthians 11, which is very famous for the Lord's Supper. Why do the church at Corinth come together when you read 1 Corinthians 11, 20 to 21? Shall we all read this together? 11, 20 to 21. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his... So when they were... It says, own meal... You see that the Lord's Supper was a meal. It was not just a crumb and a sip, right? And it says the reason that we came together was to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But I'm sorry to say that you're not having the Lord's Supper. Why? Because each one goes ahead with his own meal. Now, why do we call the word the Lord's Supper? It means the supper, when it says the Lord's Church, it means the church belonging to the Lord. When it says the Lord's Day, the day belonging to the Lord. When it says the Lord's Supper, the supper belonging to the Lord. It is, it is an ordinary meal, but it carries extraordinary significance. Right? And uh, why? They were not having the Lord's Supper, but they were having their own meal. Now, the key word that we see is 21 and 33. If you want to understand one of the things that we teach, right, in how to understand the purpose of the passage, 21 and 33, we see the similar exhortation here. Here it says the problem. The problem is mentioned in 21. This is the main problem, people. It doesn't make sense to us in our modern day churches because who goes ahead and have their own meal here? <laughs> but that is the main purpose here that he writes here, for in eating each one goes ahead with his own meal. And in verse 33, he gives the, he addresses the problem here and he gives the resolution here. And what is the resolution in 33? Shall we all read this? So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, do you think it's a problem in our time? But it was a huge problem. They were not waiting for one another. Now, we call it what? The Lord's, what do you call? The Lord's crumb, sip, or what do we call? Now, what is supper, by the way, even in English? What is the meaning of supper in English? What is it? It's not even just a meal. A meal we eat in the evening. Now, it means the same even in Greek. The Greek word for supper is depnon. And you know what it carries? It usually translated banquet, feast, meal. The main evening meal. And why does it say the Lord's Supper, not the Lord's breakfast or Lord's lunch? Why does it say the Lord's Supper? Now, the, the, the Roman secular writer, Pliny, gives some understanding. In the first firmly data, data, datable evidence of Christianity in Bithynia, Pliny, the Roman author, writes to the emperor Trajan. Trajan was one of the emperors uh, in AD 110, and he writes here that, at the end of the first century, Christians were meeting before dawn and again in the evening of the same day. They were meeting twice. 
So uh, as I was studying, I was uh, observing that they, they met together in the dawn, the morning. Why? Because uh, you need to understand here that Sunday was not a public holiday for the first century Christians. When did Sunday was declared as holiday? Anyone remember? Under the Emperor Constantine in the 4th century, he declared Sunday as a public holiday. Sunday was not a public holiday. They went to work. So it is said that these people gathered in the morning and they had normal songs and uh, they worshipped the Lord and they had the word. But again in the evening they gathered just to have the Lord's Supper. They were not having like us in the middle actually. They just gathered for the Lord's Supper in the evening. That's the reason some of the people went ahead and had their own meal. Right? So we, we see here that, also, we, we see that uh, in order for you to convince, convince you that it was evening, Acts 27 also makes sense. You see that what it says here. On the first day of the week when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech until? So when do you think he might, they might have gathered? If he prolonged his speech until midnight, they might have gathered early in the morning, 5 o'clock, right? No. It is in the evening. That's the reason he prolonged until midnight, right? Now, here is the question. Why, according to 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, were the meetings of the Corinthian church doing more harm than good? What do we see in verse 18? Now, what was happening here is, if you observe the phrase carefully, now, See this 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11 and uh, observe this uh, phrase when he says that you, you are having your own meal, right? And uh, there is no unity among you. He says that in verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. Okay, that was a problem. There, was, there were divisions. But how it was expressed, can somebody tell if you look into the passage, please open the scripture and see that. Please open the Bible. It will be very helpful if you can engage with the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 18, and right after that, 18, he says, is the problem of division. But how it was expressed practically, evidentially, tangibly, how the division was manifested here. 21, no, to not 20, yeah, yeah, 21. What do we see here? How it is expressed? When you come together, it's not slot supper, and he says that each one goes ahead with his own meal. Now, now, when you look at here, what are the two words that shows that it was really a meal? One goes, if they were just breaking bread, why some people were hungry? And others were drunk. Some were hungry, and others were drunk because it was a meal and a real supper because of which they were going ahead. And you, and you see what it says over here. There is a very important phrase here that we see that. Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Now, there is one specific category observed. The problem is we don't observe the phrase there properly. We just read it. Now, who are those who have nothing here? The poor people. So he was not talking to the whole church. He was particularly addressing the rich people who brought food instead of sharing food with the poor people, reflecting the unity of the body of Christ, how God has made rich and poor and colors and castes and all kinds of people as one body of Christ. You are going ahead and manifesting class discrimination. The rich were not willing to eat with the poor. And in that sense, they were despising the church of God because of which Paul was angry. And he said that, you're not having the Lord's Supper, but your own meal, right? So we see here that, the, now, now, now here is a question that I would like to ask you. Was the supper here symbolic or real? Today people say, yeah, we are having lots, of, where is the supper here then? Oh, it was symbolic. Was it a symbolic here? Anyone who doesn't even know Greek or, you know, great grammar, if you read normally also, it is very evident to us that it was a meal, right? Now, I would like to quote, how many of you go to Bible.org? How many use Bible.org? It's, um, it's a very popular website. 
and I go, and many of us go. Bob Deffenbaugh is one of the founding uh, authors of this Bible.org, and listen to this, what he says here. Shall we all read this together? It's a little long, but it makes sense. The Lord's Supper was a supper. When our Lord broke the bread and gave the wine to his disciples just before his death, he did so in the course of the meal after supper. The celebration of the Lord's Supper by the early church in Acts and at Corinth was also observed as a part of a meal. The Lord's Supper seems to have been referred to as the breaking of the bread. And uh, so some may ask actually in that sense, um, 1 Corinthians 10, 14 to 17, uh, 16 to 17 says that, uh, the cup of the blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? And it says one bread. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, here is what we need to understand here. Although they were having the meal, there was what we seem to understand, seem to understand, and how the Bible teachers try to explain is that, uh, the, the particular bread, when they break it, when all people participate in that one loaf and they remember the Lord's death on the cross and also reflect the unity of the body of Christ. And then they had the meal together. Okay? So there was one particular loaf which had a theological significance and the ordinary meal, the communion meal which they participated, reflecting the unity of the body of Christ as a communal meal. And uh, now, there are some quotations here. Please open. That's one reason that I have given you. In order for me to tell you that this is not something new, people. This is not something new. This is so many people agree to this. And these are Bible scholars. Okay? The, you don't need to have Bible scholars to uh, you know, get convinced. Even the normal reading of the scripture also will help us to understand. Now, uh, let us carefully follow me as we come to an end. John Brain. First, I would like to mention John Brain, uh, lecturer in religious studies at Sterling University in the New Encyclopedia. You can refer and see whether this is true. In the New Lion Encyclopedia, section on the Lord's Supper on page 173. Now, this is what he says. The early church observed the Lord's Supper as an exclusive community meal. Throughout the New Testament period, the Lord's Supper was an actual meal shared in the homes of Christians. Interesting. Donald Guthrie, if you are from any seminary, no one comes out of seminary without hearing the name Donald Guthrie. Right? The Lion Handbook of the Bible, Second Revised Version, section on the Lord's, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 33, on page 594, it says, In the early church, the Lord's Supper took place in the course of a communion meal. All brought what food they could, and it was a shared meal. The rich particularly brought the food and shared with the poor. That's the reason they had, went ahead and had their own meal, not waiting for the poor. And also Leon Morris, is a very, his commentaries are a great blessing in my preparation also. In 1 Corinthians commentary of this passage, in page 158, he says that at Corinth, the Holy Communion was not simply a token meal as with us. Token, just a bread and a sip. no. But an actual meal. Moreover, it seems clear that it was a meal to which each of the participants brought food. I, Howard Marshall, in the work entitled Christian Beliefs, and on page 80, in a section entitled Lord's Supper, he says, This simple rite was observed by his disciples at first as part of a communal meal, Sunday by Sunday. Jonathan went. A Hebrew scholar commented, the Lord's Supper communion or Eucharistic meal as it appears in the Didache, which is an early Christian writing, comes across as more of an agape love meal. The meal is more than just symbolic bread and wine. The end prayers come after all I have eaten to satisfaction, implying a full meal rather than token elements. The emphasis is more on a fellowship meal, prefiguring a messianic banquet with prayers of thanksgiving for physical and spiritual food and drink in general for the ingathering of the church and for the second coming of Jesus. Now, who doesn't know Jaya Packer actually? And Merrill Tenney, if you are coming from a theological background, and it's a, it's a great book, very academic book, illustrated manners and customs of the Bible. 
and the editors are Packer and Tenney. And here it's a long one, but follow carefully. In order for me to persuade you that this is not something new, everyone agrees. In my study, almost everyone agrees that this was an actual meal. No one disagrees. The early Christians see ate the symbolic meal of the Lord's Supper to commemorate the Lord's Last Supper in which Jesus and his disciples observed the traditional Jewish Passover feast. The themes of the two events were the same. In the Passover, Jews rejoiced that God had delivered them from their enemies and they looked up expectantly to their future as God's children. In the Lord's Supper, Christians celebrated how Jesus had delivered them from sin and they expressed their hope for the day when Jesus would return. At first, the Lord's Supper was an entire meal. Hear this carefully, people. At first, not now. People don't do it now. But in the early church, the Lord's Supper was an entire meal that Christians shared in their homes. Each guest brought a dish of food to the common table. The meal began with common prayer and the eating of small pieces from a single loaf of bread that represent Christ's broken body. The meal closed with another prayer and the sharing of a cup of wine which represented Christ's shared blood. I was doing a study on when did this actually cease to be a meal? Why did it become a mere ritual? And there is a very, uh, I will send it to you, if you have patience, if you are interested, you can read, and you find this in biblical archaeology. Biblical archaeology is a site where people go there, and this, I'm reading from biblical archaeology, just listen to this. Early, it's not there in your notes. Biblical archaeology, early Christians celebrated the Lord's Supper as a full meal. Hear this, the early Christians celebrated the Lord's Supper as a full meal, but by the third century, it had ceased to be a banquet and had become a ritualized small meal instead. And in this article, Supper to Sacrament, how the Last Supper evolved. I mean, how it went from a meal to, you know, even a pastor should break it, and when you participate in that, the presence of God is there. Some people see it literally. How this all evolved, there is a beautiful article on that. I will post it to you. I'll send it to your respective leaders and they can post in your group. Okay? Now the question comes, what about the churches that doesn't have a meal? What about the churches that doesn't have a meal? 99% of the churches today, they don't have a meal because it has become more formal meeting today rather than a familial, family meeting that we find in the early church. Now hear this carefully. I want to be very careful here. When people don't have a meal and just have a bread and a sip, what we need to understand is that they are following the prescription and the purpose. Both they are following. The prescription is that do this in remembrance of me. So that is happening. The only thing that is missing is the pattern. The pattern is the context of the communal meal is missing. So still they are remembering the Lord's death on the cross. Praise God for that. So don't look down on churches or at people who don't have a meal and don't think that, you know, we are a better church. No, that is not at all the case. What we need to understand that the essence is maintained still, which is the work of Christ on the cross. But it would be a wonderful thing if communal meal is included. It's wonderful. Now, I would like to close with, uh, uh, how many of you have this book, Understanding the Lord's Supper? Now, if you turn in this book to page number, you can go and verify that. Even he agrees it was a meal. But he also, because, he, and he was careful, you know, not to, you know, people think that, you know, these are not biblical churches or practicing it. He, he explained it in a different way. And I love the way he put it. In page number 61 to 62, in the book here, Understanding the Lord's Supper, Bobby Jamieson says that, finally, as we have seen in our study of 1 Corinthians 10 to 11, the church in Corinth clearly celebrated the Lord's Supper in the context of a whole meal. Recall that the phrase, the breaking of the bread, may well refer to the Lord's Supper in Acts 27. The use of a similar phrase in Acts 20, 46 to describe a normal meal seems to suggest that the breaking of bread was a meal in which the Lord's Supper was celebrated. Does that mean the New Testament requires churches to celebrate the Lord's Supper in the context of a meal? I don't think so. What Jesus commanded us to do is eat the bread and drink the cup. The ordinance of the Lord's Supper is the corporate performance of those acts. So I don't think that eating a full meal together is of the essence of the Lord's Supper. He says that essence. It's not the essence. Essence is remembrance. The context is the fellowship meal. It is not a necessary element. He's telling here so that you would not look down. And he it, 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 it made a very good balanced argument over here. But he says, however, 
He says that, however, in spite of that, and this is from nine marks people, okay? And this is what they, however, celebrating the Lord's Supper in the context of a whole church meal is a practice I would love to see more churches recover. And EF is one among them. He would be glad actually if he comes and sees. Context, you know, celebrating the Lord's Supper in the context of a whole church meal is a practice I would love to see more churches recover. It highlights the fellowship we share with one another in the Lord's Supper. It underscores that we go to church in order to be the church. Sitting down for a meal together is a way to show our acceptance of each other in Christ. And having a communal meal as an element in a church worship service rather than merely as an optional potluck afterward sends the message that fellowship with one another is an essential part of what it means to be a church. Like I said, I don't think a church has to celebrate the Lord's Supper in the context of a whole meal, but I would love to see more churches practice it. What are the advantages of having a communal meal? First, I want to say that familial atmosphere. That is one reason I say that communal meal is so important because it is it creates familial atmosphere. Second, creates more room for mutual fellowship and encouragement. There is no fellowship and encouragement in the churches today. Why? Because there is no meal. Meals is a good way to do that. And third, manifest social acceptance. That irrespective of class, caste, creed, we love each other and dining table is the evidence of it. And it creates opportunity to eat together as one community irrespective of caste, color, race and status. If you have read my book, Christ, Caste and Church, one chapter I argued, if you want to deal with casteism in churches, have communal meals. Why? Because higher caste and lower caste will not sit together and eat in the same plate. It creates opportunity to eat. And finally, it reflects future messianic banquet. So I want to conclude here, brothers and sisters, that don't miss the communal meals in the church and don't see it that... Now, this is how I say that. When we break bread, it is a horizontal reflection. Sorry, vertical reflection. We remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. When we eat together, it is Lord's Supper in the context of a horizontal relationship. As one body, we are enjoying the meal together. I say this because some people don't have communal meals. And it is, I say that we have seen from the Bible how it is a common thing. Don't miss communal meals. Don't think that I participate in the bread, I don't eat together. Have a horizontal fellowship meal. And if you don't like it, if it's not hygienic, if it is not something, get your own meal. But come and sit and eat together, which is the celebration of the Lord's Supper, vertically remembering Christ's death, horizontally celebrating as a community. And if you are dieting also, if you don't want to eat rice or something, get your food. Because communal meals, it's not that I'm dieting. More than dieting, honor the way the Lord's Supper was practiced in the early church. Get your food. Come together and let's eat together. There is joy in the communal meal. And I've seen that in our church. People who have come, a lot of visitors who have come, they, they didn't speak much about preaching. They didn't speak much about all those things, although they were encouraged. I'm not telling that they didn't like it. But one thing that really touched them, you know what? And people personally spoke to me. You know what I like, dear? I think this is what we need to see in the churches there. Sermon discussion and eating together. It is so beautiful and it is so enriching. Okay, shall we all stand together and pray? Thank you for patiently listening. You can do more research and study on that. If you have any questions, feel free to interact with me. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is for us to learn your word. I remember still what one person said, we are all in God's school and we never graduate. We keep learning things and we thank you for your word. And especially at this time, we thank you for the gospel, symbolically we celebrate in the Lord's Supper, remembering what Christ has done for us on the cross, offering his body, shedding his blood. We thank you for his death on the cross. And we celebrate it until he comes. We praise you, Lord. And we, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are also reminding you, Father, remember, you, are, you, are, you need to send your son soon so that we can join in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And until then, we break bread and we praise you, Lord, for this great ordinance you have given to us. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray with thanksgiving. Help us not to neglect this and break bread, enjoy the communal meal, reflect that we are a different community in the entire world. We are not a mere social club, but a redeemed community of the Lord Jesus. 
reflecting Christ-likeness. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com I repeat c-s-t-e-b-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at gmail.com Grace and peace be to you.